0: Ecclesiastes chapter 9, if you have your Bibles handy, maybe you can relate to this while you're looking for Ecclesiastes chapter 9. One guy said, "I I spent a fortune on a trampoline, a stationary bike, and a rowing machine, complete with gadgets to read my pulse and gadgets to prove my progress results and others to show the miles that I've charted but they left off the gadget to get me started. Amen. I like it. That's a good way to start. Um, I don't know. When I was doing some leadership studies, uh, the last part of my formal education, a large portion of the material that I had to digest, books, etc., dealt with the issue of leadership, especially in a business context, Uh, that's tied to the topic of motivating people. And while I was working through that stuff, I I remembered hearing of a story from a friend of mine in the ministry. Been a pastor for a long time and he was serving a church roughly the size of Crestwood. Uh, By the way, this is not a reference to our custodian, but he had an issue on that church of motivating that custodian. This custodian, as a matter of fact, had a a long-standing practice of disappearing during the middle of the day, and nobody could find him. His car was still there, but nobody could find where he went, and of course, there were rumors everywhere about what happened, and uh, one day, this particular pastor is during that time of the day when this particular employee was known to be gone, and Pastor was wandering through the building looking for something didn't really have any idea where to look and so he came around a corner and he noticed the closet. He had seen the closet before but he thought, well, maybe it might be in there. He opens the door to the closet and there perched on a chair like this, laid back with a newspaper draped across his stomach, was the church custodian fast asleep. Um, let me say it this way. Before that, the the, uh, custodian was highly demotivated but he got extremely motivated by the end of the conversation that followed that discovery. Now I think that uh, maybe that's a good place for us to start today, that is at the point of motivation. I want you to think of your life. Are you a motivated individual or do you kind of suffer from being demotivated and just kind of not too much into it all. The reality is that how we process ultimate truth in our lives impacts the approach to life that we take. So I want to kind of talk underneath this umbrella of motivation for a little bit this morning and Let's see what the preacher has to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Now, we'll get to the text in just a few moments, but I want to begin by asking this question for you, to you. What dominates the landscape of your life? Now, before the attacks of 9 11 2001, New York City had as its defining landmark the Twin Towers. After that attack, and those towers were no longer there, uh, it, it changed some things for us, obviously, as a nation. Now, I know that even today, when I watch some of the old movies that, that, were, take, uh, that were made before 9-11-2001, and those twin towers are there in the skyline, it, it immediately takes me back to the moments of that day and how everything has changed since then. So we might say that those twin towers loomed above the landscape and even of history, they become a marker for us. So I want to ask you, what is it in your life that dominates the landscape? As we look backwards in your life, what are the things that moving forward define you and help you Kind of go through the days even now. Maybe they don't even help you. Maybe they're just kind of there and it's just stuff that you have to deal with. Now, we can call it baggage. We can call it a lot of other things. But the writer of Ecclesiastes gives us two basic truths that loom over the landscape of our lives. The first one is that life is temporary. In other words, you're going to die, or in other words, death is coming. That's a great truth, isn't it? Kind of just motivates you, doesn't it? Here's the other one that he gives. And this one's going to be a little shocking. Matter of fact, it's going to be kind of offensive to us. Um, You're not in total control. Those two truths are the ones that loom over the landscape of our lives, according to the preacher, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let's take the first one and let's walk through a little bit of it here because we need to understand the truth of it and then also the implications as we move forward. So here's the first one. Life is temporary. It's not endless. Now, be careful. I know theologically that's not a true statement, but just work with me with what he's saying here for a few moments. You'll understand what I mean. Let's start reading from verse 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. He starts off... With the word but. Now, this is one of those times. I told the early service, uh, I have a real struggle this morning ahead of me. Uh, I'm supposed to cover 12 verses. You know how much I struggle with big chunks of scripture like that. Normally, that's four months worth of preaching. Um, And really, verse one, first word, adds all of chapter eight into my dilemma this morning. All right? The word but here is taken with chapter 8 in mind and all that we've said. So, as I said to the early service, I'll say to you, remember everything that I said last week and now we're ready to go. But, he says, all of this I laid to heart, examining it all how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, but both are before him. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked to the good and the evil to the clean and the unclean to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice as the good one is so also is the sinner and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath this is an evil that is done under the uh, excuse me this is an evil in all that is done under the sun That the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. That's a great name for a rock man. Verse 5. For the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. What he's saying to us here is this first big truth. Life is temporary. Let's add verse 10 into the mix. We jump down. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, Do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, that is the place place of the dead, to which you are going. Now, let's see if we can wrap this up in this way. In our society, in our lives, we don't really like to talk about or to deal with the death issue. As a matter of fact, we try to get away from talking about it in a lot of different ways. Uh, One of the best ways is that typically we find the cemeteries in our society tucked away places. We don't typically like to have a a cemetery, a cemetery, same difference, um, as the focal point of a community. We get to... The cemeteries, and by the way, I walked through Hook Cemetery out here not too long ago. I just kind of reached a point one day in the office where I knew that I kind of needed to get out and I needed to go back out and make sure that uh, I was, you know, with the Lord where I needed to be in order to do His work, and uh, that happens from time to time. And so I, I just kind of went out and was driving through Beaumont calling in. I got over there and uh, I, I stopped at Hook Cemetery and I thought, you know I I think I'd just kind of like to walk through that cemetery. Now, you think that makes me weird? That's okay. I go to the cemeteries a lot. Uh, usually, I go as I'm standing above somebody's casket and we're about to put them into the ground. Uh, so sometimes I go just for some reality check stuff like the preacher's given us here in this passage. As I walked around Hook Cemetery. I've struck. I've been here just a little under two years now. Some of you think it seems like two hundred, but. Uh, I've been under two years, and so, as I was walking around, I was able to recognize some family names out there. Uh, I was struck with how old the cemetery is in the first place. Um, some of the old graves out there have been there a really, really long time, dating back to, I guess the settling of this area in the first place. I was struck with several things: for one, the length of time that some people lived. Now, this is kind of highlights one of those deals for us where we don't really feel comfortable too much with the death issue uh, because we make up little trite ways of celebrating life, which is what we call funerals now, because it's a lot easier to say we celebrate life than this person died and I'm sad about it. Uh, And so we have those little sayings like, you know, this is the dash between the born date and the dead date and everything in the dash, you know, encompasses their life. And it's a nice romantic way for us not to have to deal with the hard realities that death's coming for us. I'm struck with how long some of those people live. There's some old people that died. And I was struck with how long some of them did not live. A lot of those graves out there marked, I'm guessing, just a few hours of life, maybe a few days of life of an infant. It's a good reality check go walking to a cemetery but see, we do not like that we tuck them away in the back parts of our communities and you know I've had issues through the years or situations through the years where people would say to me I don't, don't go down that road because there's a, a cemetery there and my answer to them was yeah there is so what oh man I, I, I just don't do that well here's a news flash you're going to do that you all gonna die. It's a closed system. Nobody gets out alive here. And the Psalm, excuse me, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher here, begins that way for us. Life is temporary. Death is coming for you. Isn't that a great topic to talk about at church? It's amazing how this whole atmosphere in here lifted up when I started talking about death. See, it's one of those realities that we kind of tuck away. One of my favorite preachers of all time is a guy named Stephen Curtis Chapman. And he wrote a song a long time ago. Here's, listen to what he's saying that ties in with what the preacher has said in those first six verses. Today I watched in silence as people passed me by. I strained to see if there was something hidden in their eyes, but they all looked back at me as if to say, Life just goes on. That old familiar st- uh, stories told in different ways. Make the most of your own journey from the cradle to the grave. Dream your dreams today because tomorrow life must go on. He drops down and one of the other elements brings it fully into a church context for us when he says this guy takes care of his family He takes care of his work and every Sunday morning he takes his place at church and somehow he still feels a need to search but life just goes on. And then the hook part of the whole song is but there's more to this life than living and dying. More than just trying to make it through the day. More to this life more than these eyes alone can see and there's more to this life than just life alone can be. What do you do with the truth that casts a shadow across your entire life that says death is coming? It's a good question. But the reality that we find as we deal with death also now has its tentacles wrapped around the way we choose to live our lives. And so many people just live life as if death is a theory and that maybe somehow I'm going to be the exception. I'm going to be the only one in all of history. Oh, well, boy, that doesn't work, does it? That I might be the one in my generation that escapes death when it's all said and done. The writer of Ecclesiastes says... This truth looms across the landscape of your life, and if you deny it, your life will pay a price because of it. And part of the way this impacts us, as we deal with this part of our lives and this truth that's hanging out there, some people actually embrace it and they say, well, hey, if I know that I'm going to die, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And there is that part of life, that philosophy of life called hedonism that we hold out there that says, let's just grab all of the pleasure in life that we could get. Let's grab all the stuff because after all, there's no reason to make plans for tomorrow because tomorrow I might die. It's the old Aesop's fable of the ant and the grasshopper. You know that? Now, I mentioned these fables in church not too long ago, and uh, one of our teachers said they don't teach that, those things in school anymore, so your homework is to go check it out on the internet, find Aesop's Fable, The Grasshopper and the Ant, but the basic idea is the grasshopper says, I'm going to live it up, I'm going to party, it's summertime, it's great out here, let's just lay out and get a grasshopper tan, and he looks over and he sees the ant, and the ant's furiously working, you ever seen an ant that just kind of lays back and kicks back like a dog does. Never saw that. The grasshopper essentially says, hey, come over here. Let's chill for a while. The ant says, don't have time. Work to do. Got to work, got to work. Work, 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 work. By the way, we're full of grasshoppers and ants in here today. I'll come to that in just a moment. Winter comes. The grasshopper pays the price for his leisure. The ant has food in store. And see, now we make that fatal jump because many of us in here, or the ant, not the grasshopper. Our response to the fact that we're going to die is, well, live it up. That's the grasshopper. But some of us tend to be the ant, and that is, got to work, 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 work. If I'm not working at work, I'm working at home. And if I'm not working at home, I'm working at somebody else's home. And if I'm not working at either of those places, I'm going to work on my hobby so I can get away from work. And we get so invested in the life that we have. That we take the truth that looms over the horizons of our life, and we push it to the side and say, Well, death may come, but it'll have to catch me when it does. Hedonism, fatalism that just throws up our hands and says, Well, if I can't do anything about it, I'll just crawl into a hole and spend my days there. The writer of Hebrews, I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 9, says, It is appointed unto man once to die. And then what? And then after that, the judgment. But see, our society doesn't like that truth either. Now, we we don't even like the it's appointed to man once to die part of it. And so we have people. Okay, now this is the Bluebell guy telling you this, okay? So we have people who sell themselves to healthy living. Oh, man, you're going to, if you just eat right... And you do away with all that bad stuff that tastes awesomely good, I might tell you. If you just push all that away and eat healthy, then you'll live longer. But you know what? Newsflash, you're going to die. You'll die the healthiest person who ever died. But you're going to die. So all this mix about how we take this truth, and even though it is... Over the landscape of our life, we still either push it or somehow we embrace it and make rough choices with it. All of those things come together. And wisdom says, if the reality is you're going to die, then respond appropriately to that truth. In other words, the truth is there, so live responsibly in light of that. Well, what does that mean? Well... We're going to get there in just a second. Let me give you this other truth that looms over the landscape of our lives. Same passage, except it's in verses 11 and 12. Here's the truth. I mentioned it earlier. This is the one that a lot of us really don't like. Here it is. Ultimately, you're not in in control of everything. Now, I know that comes as a newsflash to some people because clearly they're in charge of everything in life. Remember what I said last week about not liking pain We don't really like pain, and so we medicate if we get a little bit uncomfortable. Well, my allergies are bad, so what do you do? Well, you could just, well, I won't do it here, but, you know, you could do the... Yeah, snort. That's a nice, politically correct way to say what I was about to do in front of you. Or you could just go take a pill. The whole point is we don't really like the uncomfortable part of that, and so what do you do with that? Here's another element of reality that we don't like pain. If you have an air conditioner in your house, you are into control. At the very least, you're saying, I want to control how hot or cold it is in my house. Now, if you really want to be a macho guy, just jerk that, jerk that uh, air conditioner out and live with your windows open or if you really want to be tough just keep the windows closed but see we don't like that because we need control and all of us have control issues I've mentioned it many times so I won't go into it I'll just throw it out there so you can be thinking about it all week long most of the time our control issues come out when we're driving but it doesn't have to be in a car that you run into these issues. Our control issues come out really most of the time in our relationships. So let's look at verses 11 and 12 and let's see what the preacher says about that. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, Nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. In other words, it just is not right. I prepared more. I should have gotten the promotion. But it didn't happen. Verse 12. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. In other words, sometimes bad stuff happens to good people if there's such a thing as good people. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was, several weeks ago, I talked about dancing in the toll booth. You remember that? And since then, I've had several church members come to me and say, man, that helped me out. I don't remember what you were talking about in your sermon, but the story helped me a lot. It's great, okay? And they didn't all say that, but basically. and um, Here's the deal. Here's what's good about that. Something in them realized they were going to work and they were just going through the motions. And so they made a change. And life can be a little more purposeful than sometimes what we allow it to be. There's no reason to have to be fatalistic in the light of this truth that says you're going to die. Sometimes you just need to have a party. Now I thought I'd get some amens from that, but not so. Okay. All right, so here's the deal. Let's look at these verses again because here's what he does for me. Uh, I'm a little slow on the uptake sometimes, especially when it comes to Scripture. So I really like it when the writer of scripture takes and makes a point like this and then he comes back and he spells out for me how I might respond to that, all right? So the truths that stand there for us, you're gonna die, death is coming. The other one is you're not ultimately in charge of everything. You can't control your environment to the level that you would like to control your environment with those two things. How do you respond to those things? He gives us four very practical answers. It's in the section that I have not read yet out of today's text. Verses 7, 8, 9, and I've already read part of verse 10, but here we go. Here's the first one. With these two truths dominating this, uh, the landscape of your life, here's the first thing he says to do. Are you ready? Have a party. Verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with... Wait a minute. Oh, man, this is a Baptist church. Can't say wine. Um... No, let's just let it say what it says. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Be careful that you don't overblow what I just talked about on the wine thing. Here's what he's saying. He pulls it all together in light of the realities that you're going to die, in light of the realities that even with all of the work that you're putting in, sometimes you need to just back off and have a party. Here's what I think he's saying with this. I want you to consider your life schedule for a few moments. From the time you wake up in the morning until the time you go to bed, the society in which we live says you need to cram as much into that time frame as you can. As a matter of fact, you need to cram more into it than you can gracefully do. And by the way, if it means you just sleep a little bit less, it's okay. Because after all, you're getting stuff done. And so we have fast food. You know why we have fast food? Because we live fast lives. We don't have time to stop. And so from one practice to the next concert or whatever it is that's in our schedule, we have to swing through and grab something to eat as we go to fill the rest of that part of that day. By the way, it's not just... uh, the young families who are doing this. For some of us, it's the work ethic that we have, and we're just working all the time. We're the ant. We don't have time to rest because winter's coming, and we know we only have so many years to put this retirement package together. We've got to stack up money and all those kind of things, and we're just trying to hold off death as long as we can. And in the meantime, we're living lives that are horrible. Nobody would want to live. We make Jesus look like a liar. When he says, I've come to give you life that is abundant and joyful and Christians advertise just the opposite. and We fall into a pattern of living that says cram all you can into the day, get a little bit of sleep so you can wake up tomorrow and cram some more in. We get to the later part of our lives and we go, wow, really? We did all that for what? For this? On a sociological front, I'm very, very concerned about what we're doing to our children with that kind of schedule. We are raising generations of children who do not know how to relax. And they just keep pumping more into the schedule because that's what we've taught them to do. It'd be interesting to see what happens 50 years from now when those children are adults and they're running stuff in our country if our country is even here then have a party because you're going to die and you don't want to get to the end of it all and go man I just wish I'd have worked a little harder I just wish that I'd have worked until I was 85 instead of 75 verse 7 go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Here's the second one. Four uh, suggestions. Remember how to live in light of these two big truths. Have a party. Second one is get comfortable. <laughs> I like this one. You notice I don't wear suits up here very often? I read the Bible. That's why. Well, maybe that's not why. Verse 8, he says, Let your garments be always white and let not oil be lacking on your head. Kind of hard for us in Southeast Texas in the 21st century to get a handle on this because we live in an area uh, with high humidity and you know seasons. But for the preacher, living in a day, by the way, where they did not have air conditioning, the only air conditioning they had was a natural kind where they built stuff where they could draw some kind of draft. But even then, the draft was coming off of a dry, arid, desert kind of a thing. Uh, So if they had some shade, that might be good, but it's still dry. And so the oil they use on their skin to keep it, moist and keep it from cracking when we lived in deep south texas even here we go out to west texas where we grew up where there's no such thing as water they've never even heard of a tree out there Um, you get out there and within hours your skin starts cracking and your lips get chapped and inside part of your nasal passages get all dried up because there's no moisture out there and he's saying here yeah you better get used to that because you're going to tech Um, so he's saying here get comfortable Put on white, that reflective stuff that knocks the heat away from you at least a little bit, and also anoint with oil so that you have a comfortable approach. It's not just drudgery in life. Get comfortable with your life. That's a good point of reference for us. Here's the third one. Verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All right, now I've got to give you a disclaimer here. Theoretically, legally, you're only supposed to have one life, uh, wife. Excuse me. Um, he says, "Enjoy life with the wife that you love." This is not as if you have multiple lives, only one of which you love, and so enjoy life with her. It's not what he's saying. All right. Although, if I just wanted to make a leap in application, I could say many of us guys are more married to our professions than we are to our wives. But then that would be meddling, and I don't really want to do that today. So enjoy your family. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in in your toil at which you toil under the sun. In other words, enjoy your family. Wow. Wow. You know, one of the problems with the pace of life that I've been talking about is that families and relationships always suffer under those circumstances. Enjoy your family. But you see, in order to do that, you're probably going to have to carve out a little bit of time. Here's a news flash. We figured this out with our kids. Maybe maybe a little later than we should have, but we figured this out. It's okay if our son missed a soccer practice. It's okay if our daughter missed a dance recital. Oh, here's the one that nobody likes, except the kids. Kids love this one. It was okay if I decided to take my son out of school to go see a movie. You know what the lady at school told me when I took my son? My son was a reader. He'd read all of Tolkien's, uh, what was that? Whatever it is. Um, Thank you. He'd read all of that. And so when the movies came out, he was like, oh, man, and we couldn't find time to do it. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll just come get you out of school. We'll go to the opening deal like at 11 o'clock one day. I went and took him out of school. The lady said, why are you taking him out? I said, we're going to the movies. She said, well, he'll get an excused absence on all his classes. I said, I'm good with that. See you. It's my son. It's my son. How many of you would be willing to miss a little bit of work for an afternoon with one of your kids? If you're willing to do that, you've got to believe your kids would be more willing for you to do it. Enjoy your family. The value system of this world cares very little for your family. God says it's an important thing. From day one, well, actually, it's day six in creation, I think. When God created Adam, after everything else, God looked at Adam and remember what he said? That boy just ain't right. Something's missing. You know what God gave him? A deer rifle. A four-wheeler. A boat. No, he gave him a wife to enjoy those things with. Oh, hello. I could just sit here and be quiet and let that sink in for another hour if I thought it would help. Let me tell you something, our society in our world today, we're raising generations of kids who don't know how to rest. We're ju- raising generations of kids who have no clue what a loving husband and wife relationship looks like. We just share houses together and we pay car notes together and we go about our separate lives in the name of the kids. Verse ten. All right, now this is where I like to tell you that I'm not as dumb as I look. By the way, that's a great thing, all right? Here's the deal. Apply yourself. That's the fourth of these suggestions that he gives us. Given the fact that we're going to die and given the fact that you're not in ultimate control of your life, apply yourself to it. I, here's what I mean about not being as dumb as I look. All through school, I was in athletics. So that means I had lots of different coaches. And I used to have coaches say this to me, not just to me so that you don't think I'm a slacker, but to everybody on the team, God, you got to give us 110%. Now, in my mind, even as a high school punk, in my mind, I thought, that's not possible. It is physically impossible for you to give 110%. Right? Okay, so that's not the part that where I'm smarter than I look. The smarter than I look part of it comes in that I never actually said that to a coach. Okay? Because if I'd have said to the coach, that's impossible, you know what he would have done? I'd have been running still on that practice. What a coach is saying with that is, I need everything that you have. Okay? But he has to say, give me 110% because we settle for a standard that's far less than everything that we have. I oh, we just hit it a lick. And go with it. Verse 10. One more time. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the place of the dead called Sheol to which you're going. <laughs> what you're going to do? Get after it. Do it. My dad used to say this. This help you explain, help you understand why I'm so messed up in my head. Here's what my dad used to say. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. What? Now, he happened, to be ta- he happened to be talking about that, or he said that, in the context of a golf game. All right. Now, I just don't mind telling you, my dad's a pretty good golfer to this day. He's a pretty good golfer. Me, not so much. And so we were out one day. Now, one of the other things my dad used to tell me, is why that other one didn't make a whole lot of sense, is my dad used to say, if something is worth doing, it's worth doing right. In other words, this verse, apply yourself to it. If it's worth doing it all, then do it right. Get all in. Invest yourself in it. Do it well. So I'm playing golf, and my golf game looks more like a tennis game. It's horrible. And my dad recognizes it. I'm driven. I mean, you know, he raised me and my brother. We won't be driven. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we may not win, but we're going to let you know you were in a battle. And every time he and dad and I played golf, I wanted him to know he, was, he killed me in golf. And so I could tell I was having a bad day, and I was starting to, you know, I was going to call the ball what it was pretty soon. And dad said, looked at me, and he said, you know, If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. What do you mean by that? And why bring it up now? And he said, listen, the game in itself is worth playing. It's a great game. So even if you can't do it as good as, let's start to say Tiger Wood, but that doesn't count anymore. Um, The dude from Australia, if you can't do it as well as him, that's no reason not to do it. Do it because it's valuable. So because I like to teach and preach and we do around here as a whole for life change, here's how we can boil all of this down. What is it in your life that's sitting through all of this you know you're not giving it your all? Maybe it's in parenting. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in just learning how to take a break. What is it that you're not doing well? You know what? For me, taking a break thing kind of fits. And so Teresa left me this weekend. Um, a bunch of your ladies left us men. I didn't have kids at home. I was grateful for that, by the way. Glad y'all came home and all that. But while she was gone yesterday, I worked in the yard a little bit in the morning. And yesterday afternoon, I did something I have not done. And I don't even remember how long. I just sat out in the backyard for a couple of hours. <laughs> and you know what I was doing? I was sitting out there going, man, I need to do this. And I, was, I was thinking through all the stuff I needed to do. But I happened to be reading a book that was talking about making space for God in your schedule. And so I just finally put the book down and just tried to appreciate who God was in my life for that. Do you do that well? Do you stop the train of madness in your life and enjoy where you are? The have a party thing? How long has it been since you enjoyed a meal? We woof it down. Why? Because we got some place to go. My taste buds yesterday went, Wow, thanks, man. That tasted awesome. Because I finally settled down and just enjoyed a meal. Let's pray. Lord, take the message and please drive it home for us. Show us where we have bought into a system of a world that is on fast forward going quickly to the end and we're no different. Help us to find you in those empty spaces that we feel like we have to get filled up with stuff. Help us to appreciate the life that you've given us knowing that in the end we'll follow the way of all life We'll stand before you and you'll give, you'll require of us an accounting for our life. Help us to be faithful today in Jesus' name.